content creation, and the genesis of a curmudgeon. Hi, and welcome to The Voice in My Head for Monday, October 17th, the sixth episode of season two. My name's Neil Headley. Content creation is supposed to be fun, yet for a ton of people who do it at a high level, it's anything but. Why? In my case, I can trace back to almost the precise moment that the seeds of curmudgeonry were sown. Curmudgeonry is not a word, by the way. I just made it up. You're welcome. I was a teenager. I was still getting my feet wet in the radio industry when I walked into Bob Humanick's office. Now, Bob was, at the time, called the copy chief. Every piece of advertising that ran on the radio station went through Bob before it went on the air. Even material written and produced by the biggest ad agencies in the world. So as a result, Bob knew every word of every commercial that we ran. You learn very quickly what works and what doesn't when you're exposed to content creation on that scale. And it was Bob Humanick who started my copywriting journey. It's not Bob's fault, but the downward slide started right then. You see, copywriters have a heightened awareness of the economy of words. You get about 75 words in a 30-second radio commercial, for example. And most copywriters use a stopwatch. You sit with your script and you work your tail off to squeeze everything into that 30 seconds. You become critically aware that every word takes time. And in broadcast, time literally is money. Wasted words become the enemy. Throwaway phrases belong to people who just don't care. That approach to content creation isn't exclusive to the advertising world either. Twitter reminded me over the weekend of a great interview with Jerry Seinfeld in the Harvard Business Review. Jerry says, quote, The show was successful because I micromanaged it. Every word, every line, every take, every edit, every casting. That's my way of life, end quote. I carried my copywriting sensibilities over when I started working as a stand-up comic, too. I recorded every set for later review listening for ways to make the punchlines funnier or the setups more efficient. Because if your plan is to actually make money doing stand-up, laughs per minute is a pretty critical metric. When I moved over to morning radio, things just got worse. Comedians get real-time feedback on whether their stuff is going over. Radio DJs, though, have to wait up to three months to find out how they're doing. If you want to keep feeding your family, you become the ultimate self-critic. Plenty of comics and DJs alike assume that they're terrible, and success comes as a pleasant surprise. Even material that appears to be generated on the fly, improv, for example, takes a ton of work. The best improv comics have mastered the art of content creation to the point where, like a skilled chess player, They're thinking several moves ahead all the time. They know the art lies in making it look effortless. Great interviewers, too. When they ask a question, they're usually choosing from a menu of follow-ups that are going to come next, depending on the answer. That awareness matters because for live performers, it's crystal clear. Your audience has other choices. Bore them and you lose them. 
Comedians find it tougher to get laughs. Musicians find the crowd talking during the songs. And for radio DJs, you find out three months later that people punched over to a different radio station. DJs in particular have that drilled into their psyches. Every moment you're not holding the audience's attention is an invitation to punch over to your competitor. And they leave without you knowing until it's far too late to get them back. And therein, my friend, lies the rub. When you devote a chunk of your life and your career to the economy of words, wasted words become irritants. Suddenly, every use of words passes through the content creation filter. You agonize over every tweet. You scan your emails 15 times before you hit send. Maybe you even rehearse important conversations. That's not crazy. It's being efficient. Then you start to bristle when you realize that other people don't treat words the same way. They don't try to avoid wasting people's time and attention the way that you do. Quite the contrary, they seem to be winging it. And if your livelihood has, at any point, depended on your ability to hold somebody's attention, you can actually feel yourself start to brace like you're bracing for impact when you see someone beginning to meander. I work with Rick Moranis a couple of times on a series of radio commercials I had written for a car dealer in Toronto. One night after a recording session where Rick did the voices for the commercials, I invited him to the comedy club I was performing at that night. Rick told me that although he was confident in my chops as a writer and a performer, he had stopped going to live comedy years earlier because being in the room when a comic wasn't doing well made him physically ill. Newsflash, it feels that way for a lot of the audience, whether they're comedy legends like Rick Moranis or not. You might know if you follow me on social media or you listen to this show regularly that I offer coaching to broadcasters and podcasters at all levels. And I've been working with everyone from the smallest podcasters to the biggest morning radio shows. Now, without turning this into a plug, I made a conscious decision right at the outset to be the low cost option. Talent development, I figured, should be accessible for everybody. What I discovered is that I priced myself for a market where there are virtually no customers. I can't tell you the number of coaches and consultants in both podcasting and broadcasting who told me that they saw this moment coming, where I would come to this realization. Because there seem to be a vast number of content creators who don't care that their stuff is just okay. You ask some podcasters why the streets aren't paved with gold, and they'll tell you, well, it's because I need a better microphone. What's funny is, most of my current roster of coaching clients say that they would happily pay more because they get how important it is. Now, I mean, don't worry, the price isn't changing. Although, as of today, I am happy to tell you that we've introduced a new price for ongoing coaching. <laughs> because that's the answer, Neil. You know, if people aren't going for the low price option, offer them more and charge them less. That'll fix everything. Look, the bottom line on that one is that uh, rather than critique a single episode of your show, I will become a fan of your show. I will spend three months or a year or whatever listening to every episode you do and making notes along the way. You get the guidance, you get the development, but you also get the accountability. Look, the whole thing is meant to move that content creation needle back toward where the money is. 
Because comedians who get more laughs get more gigs. Advertisers who write better commercials sell more stuff. DJs who do better shows get bigger contracts or they get jobs in bigger markets. And podcasters who do higher quality shows make money. And if you're going to do anything, don't you want to do it well? That puts the wraps on the sixth episode of season two of The Voice in My Head. Now listen, if anything that I said here or in any of the other episodes would inspire you to pick up the tab if you and I were to sit down for a cup of coffee sometime, well, maybe you can spring through a virtual coffee instead as another way to say thanks. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash nop. And nop is spelled K-N-O-P-P. And if you want to reach me directly, you can drop me an email to talk about this or our copywriting course or whatever else is on your mind. I'm only too happy to help. My email address is neil, that's N-E-I-L, at nopstudios.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Voice in My Head. I'm Neil Headley. <laughs>